Well, everything's going to be different this morning, including the length of my sermon. Um, I'm supposed to keep it at 20 minutes. Who's laughing? Come on. (laughs) Who's shaking your head? I'm going to try to prove you all wrong. All right, go in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, because we looked last week, we jumped out of Mark for a little bit, and we're now in... And just in a mini-series in First Peter to talk about some of these relevant issues in our lives these days. And uh, the title of the series we've called Priorities for a Pilgrim People. Uh, these are days when we feel a little disoriented, a little displaced, a little uh, confused. Uh, we are much like, actually, the people that Peter was writing to. He wrote to people in chapter 1, verse 1, he called exiles. In chapter 1, verse 17, he described their lives as the time of your exile. In chapter 2, verse 11, he called them uh, to live like sojourners and exiles uh, during their life on earth. Uh, This is how we feel, isn't it? I think it's emphasized now. We don't feel at home. This doesn't feel right. The things are not the way they should be. And so we are grieving the brokenness of our world and longing for heaven And Lord willing, uh, that is soon, uh, that the Lord returns and fixes all that is broken. Uh, You might see, I don't know if you got this in the email, but I titled this sermon, and it's going to sound completely out of touch. Uh, The title of the sermon is Good Days in the Church. (laughs) You think, what? Why why would you talk about good days? These seem like anything but good days. These are the hard days. These are the difficult days. But I actually want to make a point by highlighting a little bit of uh, what the book First Peter says. If you look at chapter 3, uh, in, in particularly verse 10, I'm just going to show you this real quick, then we'll read the whole thing. In verse 10 he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. You guys have that desire? Love life, see good days? I do. I think our church does. And to write this, as Peter did, to Christians who are suffering, uh, that would have been uh, interesting for them to th- think about loving life right now, when, when Nero's the emperor, loving life right now when I'm in exile, loving life right now, good days right now in the church when there's suffering. And Peter gives actually direction for these kinds of things. Let me read the text. We have two points in the, in the sermon this morning. Verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In the time of our exile, as we are sojourners through this world, we recognize that this world is not our home, and we can learn from here how we can have the good days, how we can live a good life, the life that God intends for Christians to live even in the midst of their displacement 
their suffering. And so really, we're just going to look at two things in these verses, an attitude and an action. An attitude and an action. We're going to have verse 8, which gives us the attitude that we need to have, and verse 9, which shows us the action that we need to have. First, we're going to look at verse 8. And here's our, our point, here's our attitude. It's an attitude of all in unity. All in unity. Let's look at these words that Peter uses to describe what he's talking about here. He says, first, all of you. Now that's every single one of us. It's you and you and you and you. I could probably take the time to point at every one of you. Every single one of us needs to own this command. This is for all of us. And he says, first of all, unity of mind. This is a like-mindedness. This is a deep-seated agreement on who God is and who we are and what we're here to do. A deep-seated agreement about the gospel, about what it means to live for Christ in this world. This doesn't mean that we agree on every opinion. This doesn't mean that we're exactly the same on all our common interests, all the superficial uh, things. This is referring to the deep kind of unity of mind and heart about God, our mission, and what we are. Secondly, he uses this word sympathy. And I think this kind of flows out of the previous one. The all in unity is a unity of mind, and it's also sympathy. That word sympathy is a good word to just unpack. In Greek, it's a compound word, two words to put together, sum, which means together, and pathos, which means to feel, feel deeply. To have sympathy is to feel with someone. To have sympathy is to uh, know someone else's plight and to be able to identify with it and feel what they feel. If you're truly sympathetic, you say, your hurts are my hurts, your joys are my joys, I weep with those who weep, I rejoice with those who rejoice, I am not an island uh, unto myself, that your life directly impacts my life. I feel uh, you. I, I feel your pain. I feel your joy. Uh, this church, well, our church, don't we want this to be a place where we are sympathetic, where, where someone can come in and they don't have to worry about feeling mocked or, or, or you know, set aside and marginalized because of the things that hurt them or because of the pains that they've experienced or because of the fears that they have. We ought to be a, a sympathetic. Uh, third, brotherly love. That's a family word. Uh, the, word the, the kind of illustration that comes to my mind when I think of brotherly love, um, I played football in high school and had a couple good friends of mine that we, uh, we called ourselves war buddies. It was kind of silly, you know, high school kids, you know, doing this stuff. But we used to go out Thursday night under the lights of a football field before there was any people in the stands. And we used to, you know, reenact the plays together and we'd make these memories, the three of us. And then when Friday nights came and we'd play under the lights, it was, it was the, like the three of us. Yeah, we had a team, but we were the war buddies. We would go together into battle. And uh, it, we, we, we bonded in those moments because <clears throat> you're, you're getting hurt and you're, you're football, you know, a, a game where you're laying everything out in the field and you get trampled on and you win and you lose and, and all this ups and downs and, you know, you really build a bond in those things. If you played a team sport, often at the end of the season, you've gone through everything with. How much more is that true of the church? Like, like when we really open up our lives to each other, we, we go through it together, don't we? We go through ups together and downs together. We weep with each other. We rejoice with each other. We, we put our arms, well, 
We don't put our arms around each other right now. I mean, that would be breaking the social distancing rules. But hypothetically, or metaphorically, you know, put our arms around each other and help each other get through life. And what happens at the end of that is there's this bond of unity that has been built as we've upheld each other like brothers, like sisters, like family, through thick and thin. Don't you want that for the church? Don't you want that for us? That we just go through life together and in all of it, we're like brothers and sisters. We're like family. There's a brotherly love. Uh, so, so Peter's saying, have unity of mind. Have sympathy that you feel and you embrace the others where they're at. A, a brotherly love that's like a family bond. And then he talks about a tender heart. A tender heart. That would be the opposite of a cold heart, right? A, a careless heart. Compassionate heart. Uh, to be, the, the word in Greek is kind of funny, um, literally could be translated healthy intestines. Do you guys have healthy intestines? Do you have a, a healthy, <laughs> I don't want to get into what that might mean to have healthy intestines. But in the scripture here, it refers to that gut sense of compassion toward others. Uh, a tender heart, you're drawn to them, you're loving toward them. And then lastly, a humble mind. That is a mind that sees itself as the lowest, the poor in spirit. Jesus blesses. This is a mind that counts others as more significant than themselves. It says, I'm here not for me. I'm here not to get something out of you. I'm here to, to serve. I'm here to give. I'm here to bless. This is not about me. I think in these days, don't you think that we need this kind of unity? This kind of spirit-given unity of mind, the sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. And like he says at the beginning, all of you, all of us doing this together, everyone's all in. Not bickering about different opinions, but uniting together because our hearts have been brought together by the unity of the Holy Spirit. Just an illustration of how this unity can distract the church. In the 7th century... Uh, the church had been kind of released from some of the persecution. It wasn't as um, a bad thing at those days to be a Christian as it was in the first century. But what was happening in the seventh century was Islam, a uh, counter-religion to Christianity, was spreading like wildfire. Christian church and many of their leaders got into this uh, meeting. They called it the Synod of Whitby. It became a famous or maybe uh, infamous meeting, where as they thought about what's going on in the world, they figured they needed to make some critical decisions, and so they engaged in some debates, these church leaders. You want to know what they debated about? First topic of discussion was when should we celebrate Easter on the calendar? That was the first topic, rigorous debate. And secondly, perhaps even more importantly, was what's the proper haircut for a monk? Should he have the, you know, the thing that goes straight around? You guys have seen the friar tuck kind of thing. You know, that, that kind of haircut. Is that, what, is that what is the right thing to do? That was the theological debate that was going on at the Synod of Whitby as this opposing you know, religion is dominating the world. And, and people have looked back and historians have looked back at that and gone, what was the church doing bickering about these Secondary, secondary, I mean, you know, how far down the list do these things, these things aren't, don't really matter. 
there's a time and place for asking questions. I mean, there might have even been a discussion in the severance home about certain haircuts that happened under quarantine. Um, and there's a time and place to talk about haircuts. Some of you are like, I need a haircut, or my husband needs a haircut, or a different haircut. There's a time for these questions, but shouldn't always the great question before the church be, how are we going to obey the great commission right here, right now with whatever's going on in the midst of pressures on the outside, in the midst of uh, disruption? What do we do to obey the commands, the marching orders of the Lord Jesus Christ? And how sad is it when we know Jesus has said, go make disciples of all nations, if we were to sit here bickering about external things, like soldiers trying to march in the battle, bickering about the color of their clothing, their uniforms. So we need to have all in unity as we think about our role in society, in the church. Disruption and division in the church guts our ability to be a faithful witness. And we want all in unity. That's our first point. Our second is an action. The first is an attitude. Our second is an action. And here's the action. The action is we bless. You see it in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. For to this you were called. God saved you for this. He called you out of darkness for this, that you would be a blessing to others. That you may, it says there at the end of verse 9, obtain a blessing. This world is, is broken and grieving. And so often, hurt begets more hurt. And pain begets more pain. And it escalates and escalates. And this is kind of why we see what's going on in the world today. But what if we took to heart what is happening here? Do not repay evil for evil. What if Christians were a whole different breed when evil was committed against us, we didn't repay it with evil. Reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, what, did we do? what do we do? We bless. We bless. We seek to bless because we know we've been called to bless because we've been blessed. You say, well, what does it mean to bless? There's three ways this is used in the New Testament. Uh, blessing you is often used to describe the way someone speaks positively of another person. Uh, you could bless God by telling God how great he is. You can bless someone else by encouraging them and pointing out uh, the things you're encouraged by in their lives. It involved, blessing involves words. Blessing involves prayers. In Zechariah, uh, or, or in, uh, Zechariah spoke, blessing God, and in Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So one of the ways we bless people is by praying for them. You think of this, right? Jesus, nails in hands, dangling on a cross, asking the Father to forgive those who have committed this grievous sin against him. So blessing involves speaking kind words and good words to people. Blessing involves asking God to bestow favor upon our enemies, asking God to bestow goodness and kindness upon those who don't deserve it, who hurt us. You know what blessing also involves? Thirdly, Action. God blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That means part of the way he blessed us was by giving us Christ, by giving us salvation. He acted to save us. To this you have been called, the Bible says. 
How are you doing at blessing your neighbor? How are you doing at blessing others in the church? How are you doing at even blessing people that totally disagree with you? How are you doing at blessing people, maybe even at the workplace, who revile you, who want to do evil to you, who misunderstand you? As Christians, we never replay blessing or uh, evil for evil. We we bless. We reply with blessing. This has been our calling. Rather than holding bitterness in and harboring uh, bad feelings against others who might hurt us, we aim to bless, to do good to those who do us evil. I've read that holding bitterness in your heart against someone who has wronged you is like eating rat poison and hoping the rat dies. You actually don't do anything to the person that, you're trying, that has done anything to you. You just hurt yourself. And he makes this point really clear. He says, actually, on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. Did you know there's a blessing for you when you bless others? To give of yourself and to do good to those who don't deserve it, to do good to those who hurt you, is to get a blessing yourself from God. And as you do this, Peter goes on in verse 10 saying, for, and that word is transition, he's saying this is true because, and he points to an Old Testament passage in the Psalms, Psalm 34, for whoever desires to love life, you want to love, love, love life these days? And see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want to obtain blessing, you want to love life, you want to see good days, what do you do? You let your mouth and your heart be guarded by a desire to bless others. You keep your tongue from evil. You don't speak any deceit. You turn away from evil. You seek peace and you pursue it. There's a blessing in that. God turns away. His face is against, actually, those who do evil. He listens and he's near to those who are walking in righteousness, seeking to follow Christ. Let's just look back real quick at chapter 2 of 1 Peter. and We'll wrap this up. 21, chapter 2, verse 21 says this, for to this you have been called. Talking about suffering in the sight of God, though we have done nothing wrong. To this we have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Friends, think of your Savior. Christ suffered for you, the text says, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's an example that you ought to follow in your life. A willingness to suffer rather than sin. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let's think about this amazing verse, verse 24 now. He himself bore our sins. Your sins have been removed from you. Your guilt has been removed from you. It has been put on Jesus Christ. And it says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
We were the enemies of God, right? And instead of God punishing us for our sins, though we deserved it, He took them from us and put them on Christ. And Christ bore our sins in His body on the tree. The whole weight of all the sins we've ever committed was removed from us and placed on Christ, and He suffered the wrath of God that we deserve to suffer. What a Savior. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So now we have been called to follow the steps of Christ, willing to suffer, to live for righteousness, to die to sin. By His wounds you have been healed. Verse 25, you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Praise the Lord for His grace and mercy and salvation. Amen? He has saved us by the death of His Son. God has raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive right now, and we are forgiven. Our sins don't condemn us anymore. We've been brought back to our good shepherd who is an overseer for our souls, and now we are eternally secure. And because we have this eternal security in Christ, if we suffer, we bless. If we are reviled, we bless. And even if no one's doing anything bad to us, what do we try to do? We try to bless. Because we've been called to bless. Because that's what our Savior has done for us. And that's the example we follow. So what lets the work hard for unity, right? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, Humility, that's the attitude, and then let's work hard to bless others. Let's work hard at this proactively. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example that you've given us in your Son. That he is the sinless sufferer. And he set an example for us that we would rather suffer than sin. And so, Lord, this is such a high calling. We so often want to retaliate. We so often want to take justice into our own hands. We want to hurt those who hurt us. It just feels right sometimes. And so, Lord, we remember what you've called us to, to have a humble mind, to be united with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and then to do all we can to bless one another, to bless those who persecute us, to seek to bless all people that the Lord brings into our lives. We cannot do that apart from your grace. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.